0: Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Anguin, and this is episode 21 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Christopher Charles Cheney. Christopher spent years caring for his mother, Mama Peaches, who passed in 2016 after suffering from dementia. It was his love and struggles as a former caregiver that inspired him to write the Mama Peaches and Me caregiving book series, which offers wit and wisdom for worn out caregivers, as well as advice, tips, and resources. As the CEO of the National Caregiving Advocacy Corporation, Cheney Speaks, Christopher provides emotional support and essential information to individuals caring for loved ones through keynote speeches, workshops, webinars, CEUs, and caregiving artwork. You can visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.net to learn more about Christopher and link to the show notes. From there, you can find past episodes, connect on social media, and sign up for the mailing list. Thank you, Stephen Lorca, for video editing and production so we can post our episodes on the Carlina Show YouTube channel as well as the podcast. Now I bring you Christopher Charles Cheney. All right. Well, how about we get started? And if you could talk a little bit about um, what you're up to now, what kind of projects you're working on, and then I want to go back and talk about um, you as as a child growing up and kind of what led you to the work that you're doing now. So, so what are you up to right now?
1: So right now, um, I'm, I'm to be honest with you, I'm taking kind of a sabbatical, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, This has been the third year since my mom has passed away. And uh, strangely, this year has been the toughest for me Mm -hmm. uh, with depression and grief. And I discovered a couple months ago that all that I do, the writing, the speaking, was really masking a lot of the emotions that I was having. And so I decided to kind of pull back and deal with those emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. Having... Having being uh, having been a caregiver, if I should say, I could say it that way, mm-hmm. uh, caring for someone that you truly love and you miss them, there are trigger points. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, holidays can be a trigger point of depression.
2: Right.
1: And um, I knew the holidays were coming up, so I wanted to get mentally prepared for it. Um, so that's what I essentially have been doing: um, mm-hmm. relaxing, regrouping, refocusing. Um, and also thinking about the next series of books that I may do. Okay. I think going forward, I'm going to concentrate more on writing as opposed to speaking. I'll still do it. I'll still do speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot that I need to get out and I do that best in the written form. hmm
0: Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about your book? Well, you have a couple books, right?
1: I do. I do. Um, I've actually had three published books. Uh, the very first one um, was kind of interesting. I'm glad that my mom got an opportunity to to see that book before she passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Breaking the Healing Code. Mm-hmm. And it was inspired by um, a challenge that I had many years ago. I'd gotten really sick and I didn't know. Um, doctors couldn't tell me anything and I didn't know what was happening. I was losing weight and getting tired and everything, um, but eventually got healed. And so the book, I, that experience inspired me to write a book about spiritual healing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: about all the root causes that lead up to challenges in our bodies. Um, oftentimes, uh, those challenges you don't hear about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The second book um, is called Mama Peaches and Me.
2: hmm
1: It's Wit and Wisdom for the Worn-Out Caregiver. And this was inspired by my um, uh, last few years with my mom serving as her caregiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom was a very witty woman. It's very funny. Mm -hmm. And I think that she used wit to somehow get me through uh, the challenges of caregiving. There were oftentimes I was really stressed. Very, very stressed. Um, I'm very transparent in this book. Uh, I talk about getting to the point where i'm just on the verge of a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. and uh people that read this book are very relieved and encouraged that i'm that transparent because we all get there the, the weight and the pull of caregiving can be immense
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but i wrote this book for new or seasoned caregivers who are just that on the verge of a physical or emotional collapse mm-hmm. um if they are caring for an asian parent a disabled spouse or another loved one, or if they just love old-school humor. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the book, there's wit and wisdom um, and a whole lot of laughter. Uh, There's inspiration, um, empowerment, Mm -hmm. uh, to revive one's one's spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, I also offer critical survival tips. I think every family caregiver provider should know. There's practical advice. to care for any loved one with Alzheimer or dementia. Um, we even, I even include a caregiving prayer toolbook or toolbox, I should say. Mm-hmm. And there are just other resources for saving time, energy, and money, uh, strategies to reduce stress, burnout, um, depression, and even guilt. Uh, it's all the things I wish I had when I embarked upon this journey of caregiving.
0: Right, right. Okay, and we'll go in, uh, into that in a little bit more detail. Um, and you said you have a, a third book as well.
1: Yes, the third book is called Hot Slices. Uh, Mama Peach's Hot Slices of Wisdom, and uh, it's Mama Peaches' timeless truths and my timely caregiving knowledge. So my mom had just an immense amount of wisdom. Um, it's really funny. I hear her voice very clearly, uh, even now. Uh, her her wisdom guides me. Right so I wanted to share that with my readers, my followers.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Uh, early 50s.
0: Early 50s. Okay. And how, how old were you when you wrote your first book? Uh,
1: that was about, it was 2015, I believe.
0: 2015. And were you uh, a caregiver for your mom at that point?
1: And that's a very interesting question. I, I didn't... Let me back up for a second. Okay. Um, what I discovered last year is I am actually a third-generation caregiver, and I never realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many people caring for a loved one, and they don't self-identify as a caregiver.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when I was caring with my mom, I just thought I was a son caring for his mom. Like many other people, they just think that they're caring for their loved one. And so when they go out to uh, look for resources... You don't necessarily google caregiver because you don't. that doesn't come to mind Mm -hmm. um my great grandmother when i was probably four or five and i don't know why um these memories have been seared in my brain all these years but i remember uh taking her by the hand and walking her through the house i remember taking her food those are types of caregiving Mm -hmm. and um i remember Mm -hmm. my grandmother i didn't grow up with her um but I decided to move back home. for me, home at the time was Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we left there when I was about four or five. And we mm-hmm. grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I moved back uh, just to spend some time with my family. And grandma got sick, and it, I ended up being her caregiver. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't self-identify as a caregiver. And uh, years later, my mom got sick, and I became her caregiver as well. So um I was really blessed and honored to serve as a caregiver for three dynamic, Mm. supportive, encouraging uh, women of strength and wisdom.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Um, so then you, you said that you also do some speaking now. Um, okay. Could you talk about that just a little bit?
1: Okay. So after the book, uh, was released, um, I would say shortly thereafter, I started uh, an organization, and that organization is called Cheney Speaks. And through Cheney Speaks, uh, what I do essentially as a corporation is provide emotional support and essential information to individuals caring for a loved one. Uh, Cheney Speaks is a national caregiving advocacy corporation. And so we do keynote speeches, workshops, seminars, um, wellness fairs, uh, and then I'm really excited. One of the things that I want to dab in is caregiving artwork. Mm. Um, I want to have this vision of animating public spaces with um, visual expressions of caregivers to stimulate dialogue around this whole growing notion of caregiving. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. Um, so you said that you're from Knoxville originally?
1: Yes, originally from Knoxville.
0: Okay. So tell me a little bit about life growing up for you, maybe your parents, siblings, um, <coughs> and, and anything that would, um, would show you as someone who is going to, you know, write books eventually.
1: Um, I never considered myself as an author. I never thought that I would write books. Um, I remember growing up, I didn't necessarily like to read, So, um, but we grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was my uh, primarily my mom, she was a single mother of four young boys, mm-hmm. uh, and I was the oldest. Um, mom decided to take us all and move to Ohio, mm-hmm. and back in those days, um, um, mom really pulled on me to take care of my younger brother. She would go to work and um, would leave us at home. And uh, we would do the cleaning and, um, and I would dress our brothers and so forth. My mom was very strict. She's what we call one of them old school mamas. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know very many people. So again, mom pulled on me and I guess I was doing more grown up things than I, most kids my age would have uh, done. Uh, but mom always worked two and uh, two and three jobs, and she she worked really hard. What did provide. she do? She was a housekeeper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She was a housekeeper. I remember my mom. Um, I went to an alternative art school, and uh, we grew up in the inner city. We went to this school uh, where we had very affluent um, kids in this particular school, and I was. Uh, I was very interested in the arts, so I got involved in theater, and I remember my mom came to one play, and after that play, she never really came to see any more plays that I was in, and I was very upset with my mom for not um, demonstrating or showing support, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that lasted for decades, decades, I had this kind of resentment, Mm -hmm. my own mom wouldn't come to see me perform. Um, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I I realized why um, I think that first time my mom went to a performance
2: mm-hmm.
1: she felt out of place
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, these were my parents uh, the parents of other children were wiser lawyers and doctors and so forth and they probably looked down upon her mm-hmm. so I had challenges with some of the kids there you know they talked about the way I spoke and dressed and so forth and so um, I was just too young to realize the dynamics of it all,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I think that's what my mom was uh, struggling with.
0: Yeah. Did you? T- and you said that you talked to her about that when you were in your forties, or you just sort of realized that maybe that's what it was.
1: That's what I realized. I, I realized that's what it was. Um, and we eventually. Most people, when they read the books, they think, "Hey, you're you were you're a mama's kid and a uh, mama's uh, boy," and that's not necessarily the case. We had a very strange relationship. Um. Mm-hmm. Um. But I appreciate the caregiving journey. It, it caused me to mature and I should really say it caused me to forgive
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to stop hanging on to things that were really petty. I remember once, I have a stepbrother, he said, uh, he said Christopher, when you're around your mom, you become a different person. You're not laughing, you're not talking. And uh, you just get real quiet. You don't necessarily look at her. You don't necessarily engage, or it's kind of forced. Mm-hmm. And I would always feel that uh, again that there that there was a twinge of unforgiveness that I had with my mom. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I realized that she was um, struggling and she was sick, uh, that all went out the door.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go back to when you. <clears throat> Um, you were in in high school, and that's when you started theater. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Did you continue theater after high school?
1: I it was um I was a theater ma- minor and an art major in college. Um, in high school.
0: In high school. Okay.
1: And so my pursuit was um. I wanted to go into advertising, so I went to a school called Cincinnati Technical College mm-hmm. and I majored in sales marketing. Now, it's the closest thing that I can get to for uh, advertising.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And after that experience, I transferred to a, uh, to the University of Cincinnati and I was looking to enroll in the architecture program and that program was closed. So I thought, okay, I'll enroll in the industrial program and that program was closed. Uh, and I thought, hey, you know, I'll, I'll enroll in the interior decorating program, and that program was closed. <laughs> so the only thing that was open at the time was fashion design, and I decided I can enroll in this program. After I talked to a counselor, I can enroll in this program, enroll in this program, because the first year all the classes are the same for all the disciplines, artistic disciplines,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and inevitably. Uh, People will drop out. And I thought I would enroll into the architecture program. However, the more I learned about fashion design, I got really excited and decided to stay in fashion design. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had scholarships, um, but there was something unique about this particular program that I really like.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: program enabled you to go anywhere in the country where there was a job to work for about ten weeks, and then come back to school for ten weeks. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just great, so I did that. Um, I think my first job was in New York. Uh, really exciting because I'd never been in New York before. I remember um, it was my first time flying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had lots of fun. Uh, came back home, and what I was discovering was I was, I was, uh, I didn't have a lot of money because. I was using my scholarship money when I went to New York to get uh, a deposit on the apartment and then the air flight and so forth and the air, air, uh, art supplies are very, very expensive. So I, I was watching the money go away. Um, there was a um, opportunity to submit a design
2: mm-hmm.
1: for international um, design competition in Paris. And uh, that was, all the students are very excited about doing it. And so I decided to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I'll never forget, it went to New York and there were uh, 50 students that were selected in this program. And I was one of the students that got selected to go to Paris to represent the United States in this mega international design competition.
2: Wow.
1: Uh, here I was just in from the inner city. You know, on my way to Paris, I had taken French lessons um, in high school, so I thought that would come in handy. Uh As I was preparing to go to Paris for this competition, I heard about another competition in Denmark. So I applied for um, that particular uh, competition as well. Uh And I waited and waited and waited. Um, Went to Paris didn't win the grand prize I won the first prize which was one of the most original and creative design students in the world wow and it was uh, I was really blown away I, I wasn't expecting it in fact I was sitting next to my professor and her husband and as they were preparing to announce the winner I turned to the husband and said well I'm gonna go downstairs he's like why they're gonna call your name and I thought No, he has a lot of faith in me. They're not going to call my name. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I'd see all these wonderful designs, and sure enough, they called my name. And someone said, um, We had a big banquet afterwards where all the winners were saluted and um, pictures and everything. And someone came up to me and they said, um, Do you realize what just happened? And I said, I think. And they said, You don't seem very excited. Mm. And I have to admit, all the traveling to New York, I just didn't have money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I kept going to uh, financial aid and petitioning for more money. Um, I remember once saying, hey, I'm, I'm winning competitions and helping to put the school on the map. Uh, is there not another scholarship? They want to give me loans. And I just didn't want to take any loans out. And I've always learned that. I learned this lesson from my mom, uh, never accept no. So when someone told me no, there was no more scholarship money, I would go to someone else with financial aid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember going to the last lady and she said, honey, you're just gonna, you're just gonna have to drop out of school and get a job. And I looked at her and I said, if I drop out of school, I'm never coming back. And so I walked out and I thought, okay, I've gotta make this work. I can't stop now. And so what I decided to do was give up my apartment and I actually uh, lived on campus. Mm-hmm. And so I would sleep in empty co- uh, classrooms, stairwells. Um, I would go to the student union uh, at the beginning of the week or in the mornings and I would see what events were being, uh, what events they had for the week or for the day. And then I would double check to see what events were being catered. Mm-hmm. And so those events I would go to at the very end, and that's how I would eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, when I came back from the competition, um, a lot of people – I didn't say anything to anyone.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, I remember uh, the second day I was walking in the um, the union, the student union building, and people were pointing and pointing. And they um, apparently it had been – it had hit the papers and um, – people kind of knew who I was at the time. And that was kind of surreal because I wasn't used to all the attention. <laughs>
0: it hit the papers because you won the award.
1: Yes. I won okay. The award. Okay. Uh, one of the things I want, I wanted a knitting machine. I think there was some money. I, uh, there was a, an opportunity to come back, uh, Air France. Um, they sponsored an uh, air flight mm-hmm. so come back to Paris. I discovered that there was a, a, a school of design. It was called the American School of Design. Um, I decided I wanted to go to that school in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I wrote them and asked if they would extend a scholarship with me because my flight was already paid for. Never heard from them. So I convinced one of my professors at school to allow me to call them to make this international call. I did just that. And they were agreeable to extend to me a partial scholarship to come and study at their school. What? So I needed to raise the additional money. And because I was in the news and on the radio and being interviewed, I kind of leveraged that and came up with a write, uh, what do you call it, a letter writing campaign.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And was uh, really pleased I, I raised several thousand dollars to go. I remember one in particular, I had a teacher and she was meeting with the dean of um of our art school and I asked her if she could give him one of my letters
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she said I would absolutely not give him one of the letters <laughs> I was just floored so she left to go to this meeting with him it was some kind of big banquet and I was thinking I was so determined back then I was like I, I, I won't accept no and I learned that from my mom so what I did is I ran over to the event and I ran in the kitchen and I found one of the waiters, and um, I said, the dean has to get this letter. He's waiting for it. Can you take it to him? And so he took it to the dean. I I, did, I had no idea what would happen from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two days later, I'm in classroom in the studio, and I get a call that the dean wants to see me. I come over, and I'm a little nervous. Um, and he awarded me a, a check for $1,000. Wow. So I, I was so excited. So now I'm getting ready to go to Paris to go to the school, uh, the American uh, School of Fashion in um, Paris, France. Mm-hmm. And as I'm getting ready to go, the other competition that I applied for, they said that I was accepted into their program. So they were going to uh, fly me to Denmark for about two weeks. It's called Sada Sa- International Fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was this design school for, again, I think two to three weeks, and they selected about eight students from around the world. And uh, that was kind of exciting because I was, you know, literally out the door getting ready to go to Paris. I hear about this trip. So I'm there, uh, go to Paris. I end up, (laughs) it's so funny, The school was great. I learned so much. And there were a lot of fluent students that were there. Um, Great time, great time. Mm -hmm they went back to america i stayed in paris for a little while because i was ready readying myself to go to denmark but by the time i was ready to go to denmark i ended up losing my passport oh no i could not believe it so i go to the american embassy and i explained to them i lost my passport and is there anything they could do for me and at that time i really didn't have any money uh said there was nothing i said no you don't understand i have no money uh I'm going to be representing the United States in Denmark, and I have to get to Denmark. If I get to Denmark, then I'm in this program, and I know that I've got a, a shelter and food, and I can work things out to get me eventually back to America.
2: Uh-huh.
1: They said there's nothing you can do. And so, again, another no. <laughs> so I'm walking the streets of Paris, like, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So don't laugh. <laughs> but. I decided that I would go on the street corner and sing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Because I think homie needed like $20 or so. It wasn't a lot of money to get a replacement, uh, a replace, to get the passport replaced. So I'm singing all these American songs. I'm a little embarrassed because I'm not good with lyrics. So I didn't know all the words, but the Parisians did. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I go back, um, either later that day or the next day. I'm not sure when. uh, when. But um, as I was standing there, waiting for them to process um, this new passport, there were two Caucasian guys that came up, and they had lost their passports as well. And they were told um, all they needed to do was call their Congress. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, why didn't they tell me that? (laughs) (laughs) They told me that there was nothing they could do. So I was really disappointed. But To make a long story short, um, I did go to Denmark, had had an exceptionally great time, Mm -hmm. Um, come back to school, and uh, again, I'm going to school for 10 weeks, and another 10 weeks I'm working. So I've now won two international competitions, but when it came to job placements, um, I was one of the last people to get placed. And so I decided... I cannot allow someone to determine the fate of my career.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm going to map a strategy to get an MBA. And so that's what I did after I graduated. Um, I went to MBA school.
0: So you went to MBA school um, right after graduating, or did you have some time in between?
1: Right after graduating. Okay. Yeah. Um, And as I was in the MBA program at the University of Cincinnati, I heard about about yet another design competition. And so on a whim, I decided um, at the last minute, I decided that I would apply. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my spare time, I actually had to create this dress for this competition. And um, I created it, sent it off. And one of my previous uh, design professors, she helped me in her spare time as well. Mm -hmm. And so we sent it off. Long and behold, guess what? I got like to go to Go to Geek Food Japan, and it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I didn't win the big prize, but just going there uh, was a prize within itself.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what did your mom think about all this? All your all your traveling and your awards and all?
1: She was just uh, ecstatic. She was really proud. Um, she would get the clippings and pull them up and put them to the side and you pull them out. So, you know, my mom was real proud. And I I have to say that I was proud that she was proud.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was she still in Ohio or had she moved back to Tennessee?
1: At that time, she was, everyone's still in Ohio.
0: In Ohio, okay. Okay. Yeah. So what did you, um, so then what, after MBA school, what type of work did you do?
1: So I graduated with the MBA and then I went back to New York and um, I applied for jobs and I was really told that I needed to. No one really honored the MBA. Yeah. I wanted to go into design, but nobody really honored it. And I, I, a part of me says, you know, you should have been a bit more tenacious
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because I actually wasn't very valuable. I just wasn't right, didn't have the right networks. Uh, <laughs> but I got hungry. And so I decided to go back to, uh, I decided to go to Knoxville, spend some time with my grandma and my family. And the idea there was just to stay for a year or two and then go back to New York and and try to land a gig. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I actually started working for the federal government and um, and my grandma got sick. And so I I took a different career path. And I have to honestly say I don't regret it. Mm At all.
0: This was in Knoxville. You worked for the federal government. Yes, yes. Can you say like what department?
1: Oh, it was TVA. Yeah.
0: The TVA. Okay.
1: I worked for them for almost twenty-three years before I retired to take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a senior progr- I was a senior sustainability program manager. Mm-hmm. At the agency.
0: Um, and when you were um, working for the TVA, did you pursue? your creative ambitions, either through fashion or writing or art?
1: We was, uh, I was in the marketing division. We had a um, energy efficiency program <coughs> Excuse me, that I was able to champion. And through that, uh, there were many avenues to creatively express myself. I worked with our advertising account executives to do, uh, to have quite a bit of input on, Radio, TV commercials, billboards, flyers, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things. Put together uh, marketing kits for our uh, distributor cover cu- uh, customers. That, uh, these marketing packages they were used. Uh, we would uh, let me back up for a second. So we prepare these marketing packages for our, our distributor customers, and they, the distributor customers, would take the packages. Mm-hmm. To their end-use customers, mm-hmm. of the energy efficiency program. Okay.
0: And was your mom still in Ohio, or had she moved back to Knoxville as well?
1: I think eventually she uh, she eventually moved back to Knoxville. Okay.
0: Was that before or after she was diagnosed with dementia? Before. before. That was before. Okay. Um, okay. So, is there anything else that you want to mention before um, we get into? Um, when you found out that your mom had dementia and your life was about to change. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention?
1: Um, I will say this. So I was, uh, again, working for the federal government. My mom was in Knoxville. I was in Chattanooga, which is about two hours away. So I was here from time to time on weekends. Um, I was watching my mom age, and I guess I like any other you just don't want to see your parents get older and in the back of my mind i thought you know i'm, I'm, I'm getting to this point where i'm not really satisfied with my corporate career um, i would like to move back to ohio with my mom because i knew my mom was going to move back and i had this thing in the back of my mind that i would take care of my mom
2: mm-hmm.
1: even though i didn't think she would be sick i just thought i needed to be closer to my mom so, uh, yeah, so in the back of my mind, there was this thing where I, I, I just need to be close to my mom. She needs me, and I need her. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and so you were living in Chattanooga, and she was in Knoxville? That's correct. Okay, so could you um, kind of walk me through when you, when you found out that your mom had dementia and your, your life um, transitioned quite drastically?
1: All right. So, um, quite interesting at the federal government uh, agency, uh, there have been talks about downsizing and folks losing their jobs. And I invested, my career extended 23 years, and so I had a lot of uh, network, uh, done many things with the agency, and certainly had an opportunity to do other things. I don't know why, but I wasn't eager to market myself within the agency to get another job, Mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of unlike me. In fact, I told someone, I said, um, I told my group, I said, I don't see, I'm not excited about doing any other job here in this agency, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but there is one. And I said, this is the job I want. I want to be in education and training and I want to put together educational training programs. Um, When I came into work and they said, hey, your job is on the board. And I looked at that job and it was everything that I wanted. And I knew very well that I was well capable for it. I I knew the supervisor and all the management team. I had worked with them and I was just, this was the job for me. Mm -hmm. I looked at that job description and I had no excitement whatsoever. Mm. And it was at that time I said, you know what? And I knew my mom was. Getting, um, I was really concerned about my mom. That was a big thing.
0: Was there a reason why you were concerned?
1: Well, you know, I look at my mom and she just didn't move the way that she moved. Um, she didn't dress the way that she dressed. Um, she put eye clothes combinations together. She wasn't cooking the way that she cooked. Uh, I just couldn't put my finger on, but there, I just felt there was something out of place. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I didn't know anything about dementia.
0: How old was she at this point?
1: Uh, uh, sixty nine, seventy Kind of, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So I decided, um, you know what? I'm going to retire, take care of mom. Uh, I knew mom wanted to go to move back to Ohio. Uh, I would move back to Ohio with her and restart my career. Because mm-hmm. um, my mom, I, I believe, needed to be close to. Her other sons and her grandchildren.
0: Is that where they were in Ohio? Yeah,
1: they were in Ohio. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, maybe my mom's dealing with a little depression. So, um, I retired of course I'm taking care of mom. I take her to doctors and, you know, get her medicines and, you know, take her shopping. Uh, almost every other weekend we spend time together. And that's a that's a form of caregiving. Um, I took that time out the first year, I think is when I wrote the book. I did some traveling. Um, and my mom and I are having conversations about the move to Ohio. I remember very instinctively, I got a call from my brother. I'm the oldest, he's the second oldest. And he said, uh, something's not right. Um, she's hallucinating. She thinks that the house is bug, and people are spying on her. And and that was my comment was like, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, mom is mom. She's okay. She's just, you know, pretty joking around. Uh-huh. so i called her and i didn't like the dialogue and went up to spend some time with her that weekend and didn't really like what i was seeing in what, here what
0: were you seeing
1: um just the um the topic of her conversation um she was not sleeping mm-hmm. and, to go to bed and um she she wouldn't stay in the bed she's roaming around um having conversations that kind of didn't make sense,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, going outside without a coat, getting very agitated. And so I told my mom, I said, well, let's, um, tell you what, why don't you come back to Chattanooga with me for the weekend and we'll just have a relaxing time at my house. And so we did that. And by the time I got her to the house, she started complaining. I want to go back home. I don't want to be here. Um, I was just seeing a kind of different side of my mom.
0: And were you still working at TVA at that point, or had you already uh,
1: I, retired? I had retired because uh, uh, again, uh, my mom and I talked about going to Ohio. It was my okay. Gotcha. You know, it was a transition, a different career, and be close to my mom and take care of her.
0: Okay. So she came to your house to visit that weekend. And,
1: to visit. and she was uh, she was calling my brother, uh, saying that she felt trapped and kidnapped and wanted to go home. Uh, but I didn't realize we, uh, she was calling him initially. And I remember getting a knock on the door. And I wanted to know who it was. And I opened it up. It was the police. And the police said, we got a 911 call. Mom was calling 911 mm. and because she wanted to go home. Uh-huh. so I eventually took her home I got her home, I really didn't like what was happening, and what I saw she just wasn't uh, being rational so I called her doctor and the doctor said we'll bring her in And um, it was during the holidays and the doctor said it looks like symptoms of dementia uh-huh. uh, but we'll need to bring her back after the holidays just to confirm it and so that was the first time I heard about it um, and it was clear that mom could not live by herself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so one of the hardest things that I had to do, and my, my mom had always been independent. Independently and strong. So the hardest thing for me, and I think a lot of caregivers who are taking care of an aging parent can probably relate to this, uprooting my mom from her home and forcing her, literally forcing her to come and live with me. That was literally the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my mom was one of the old school moms, um, very independent, um, stern hand. I remember once I was staying at my mom's apartment in Knoxville and uh, I was cutting my hair and I was using a handheld mirror and I broke it. and. Uh, my mom's bedroom was closed, and I knew that there was a mirror in her room that I could use, a handheld mirror, but I didn't go in her room. Uh, I kind of laughed at myself because, it, again, my mom was an old school mom. You know, She would teach us you don't go behind closed doors. There were certain things you just don't. <laughs> do. mm-hmm. um, and I knew my mom wouldn't mind, but I always gave my mom just the utmost of respect, and I just didn't go behind the closed doors.
0: Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So, so you moved her into your into your home, and um, could you talk about how many years did she live with you before she passed away?
1: Um, Almost a year, uh, but the caregiving started, uh, and that's just it. I didn't self-identify as a caregiver, and and, and when I learned what a caregiver was, it was just like, man, I've been caregiving. I've been serving as my own caregivers for about five years now. Mm -hmm. At that. You know, again,
0: realize that right by going back and forth from Chattanooga to Knoxville to take care of her. You were serving as her caregiver. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and then when she moved in to your house with you, she she lived with you for about a year. Is that right? About a year, yes. Okay, so what are some um, what are some memories you have? What what should people know about that 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 year?
1: So here's a when I moved my mom in with me, I thought, okay. This thing we're gonna beat this thing. Uh, I'm gonna make sure that my mom eats well, take her, her medicines, we'll go to a doctor, we'll get her socially active. Um, I will help my mom get nurses back to help, help.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the meantime, I'll go on and do everything that I typically do. Uh, go work out, write books, travel. Uh, I just was convinced that things are gonna get better. And the more I convinced myself that things were gonna get better, it actually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, mom would, um, she wouldn't sleep, she was always complaining. Uh, we would get into arguments about things that, uh, she would state things that were untrue, and we would argue back and forth. Um, and this is one of the advice that I give people, I um, actually a police officer gave me this advice. He said, um, when you're dealing with someone with this particular symptom, and if they say that the sky is orange, you simply agree with them and you're able to move on. But if you disagree with them, you're going to go back and forth because her reality or anybody with this particular uh, challenge, that's their reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a very important lesson to me. I was able to just kind of agree with certain things and move on. Um, I remember once mom was doing something and I got really upset with her and I started yelling and uh, it was kind of a version of a nervous breakdown
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I looked at my mom and she um, had the expression of frightfulness and I thought oh my god I've got to do something I'm, I'm losing it I'm losing my mom I'm losing myself and um, I um, kind of reached out, I think I wrote something on Facebook and somebody inboxed me and said, you might want to consider going to a caregiving uh, health group,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which, you know, I didn't know what caregiving was. Uh, and they explained it and I thought um, I might give that consideration. Um, but mom and I continued to be um uh, my son and mother living in you know in, in, the, in the home. We had some beautiful moments, and as I said before, my mom and I were not really really close. But because I knew she needed me, I was able to forgive, and I can't. I I am so blessed, thankful to God that I did have that opportunity to spend with my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mom would do some funny things. She would say and do funny things. I remember one time she did something I didn't particularly like it. And my mom was very private, so I thought, you know, I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to share this funny story. but I can't remember which story, funny story it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Share this funny story with some folks, because I thought I was getting back at my mom. And I shared the story, and people just laughed. And <laughs> they loved it. And it got to a point where she, you know, I kept sharing these stories, and people were coming to my Facebook page. And they didn't really want to know what I was doing. It was just like, what's Mama Pizza doing today? Or... <laughs> Or Pizza Story, so um, that was kind of my escape mm-hmm. to sit back and write these uh, the stories and refine them so that people would would enjoy um,
0: So were these your friends and family that were commenting, or were people finding you um, who were maybe didn't know you but they were going through something similar?
1: Um, it was a combination of both. Mm-hmm uh some of the people i just i honestly say that i, I didn't know at all um uh, but also the stories helped me to realize what i was going through that were even though the stories were funny
2: mm-hmm.
1: people that had been in that situation before uh, again caring for a mom with alzheimer or parent with alzheimer dementia they could see between the lines they knew what i was going through and so they would send me inbox messages. Um, just kind of advice and what to look for and where to go for resources and all this, because I, it was just me and my mom, I, I appealed to the church for help. The church would help. Um, I didn't get a lot of support from my brothers who all lived in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, you know, real disappointed in my family, uh, both immediate and extended family, the community, the church. Uh, and again, I didn't know what resources out there. I was totally lost. Um, but I was convinced that we we're, we're going to make this thing work. Even the medical, uh, healthcare fields were kind of disappointing. You know, I was reaching out for help and it's call this number and try this number. Or we're going to, we're going to, um, transfer you to this number. This is no help without, whatsoever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I am super disappointed with the medical professions because no one ever said, Hey, you're a caregiver and here's these resources. They knew my mom, they knew what my mom's challenge was, and they had some idea what my challenge was, but no one ever connected me with what I needed. Uh Uh, We found out that mom had, um, oh, let me go back for a second. We, um, her last Christmas holiday season, I decided to take her to Ohio to see her sons and, uh her grandchildren, not knowing that that would be her last holiday. Mm-hmm. And so we went up there and on our way back, um, she knew she needed to go to the doctor. We, uh, the doctors discovered that she had a tumor in her brain. Mm. And the doctors said that the tumor was probably, it's a slow growing tumor. And they believe that it had been there for years, maybe even decades. Mm. And, um, when the doctors diagnosed her with this tumor, it was really strange because my mom was in the hospital bedroom. It was almost like she knew. I think she didn't know. I think she knew and she decided not to tell me or my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go up to Cincinnati, Ohio. We're having a good time and on our way back. Mom's getting really agitated. She doesn't want to go. She's thinking people are following us. And for anybody who takes care of an aging parent or anybody with dementia, uh, you probably can relate to these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get to uh, one of the rest stops or, or gas station stops. And a lot of times my mom and I, we would travel together. We'll go to a stop and I'll get out. She'll get out. She'll do a little shopping. She'll go to the restroom. And then she'll meet me at the car. So I go inside, come out and there's no mom in the car. And I thought, Oh, well, she's probably gone over to, across the street to McDonald's. And so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And no mom. So I, um, go across the street to McDonald's. She's not there. I go to, uh, the other side of the street, there's a gas station. She's not there. Found that I go into the gas station where I parked and said, Hey, um, um, I, I can not find my mom. And it's been a while. And they, um, so I tell you what, we'll look at the severe, uh We'll look at the cameras. So they're looking at the cameras, and they said, "Well, your mom, she went behind the building."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm scared beyond. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything was going through my mind. So we call the police, called the fire department. And we're just looking for my mom. Uh, people are out. The she She's on the TV. Missing person and everything. And So. Uh, uh, I remember going up to a lady, she was a FedEx lady, and I knew she would be uh, driving around the community, and I said, hey, um, I'm looking for my mom, and I couldn't get it out. I just started weeping, crying, oh. because the reality was, you know, where's my mom? Mm-hmm. And everybody in the store kind of embraced me, and the people were just like, well, what help look forward to? And, you know, we had the description <laughs> everything. so... Um, and then at some point it was just like, wait a minute. I know my mom, my mom's going to make it home. I don't know how, but mom's going to make it home. <laughs> so I told the police officer and, and home was about, I guess, uh, two hours away from where we were. Uh-huh. So I get in the car and I drive and I go to her home. She's not there and she doesn't have internet access. So I go to a local restaurant that did have internet access. And, uh I'm sending out these alerts and, you know, Facebook people are uh, responding and, you know, we're in prayer for you and so forth. Mama Peaches is missing. <sighs> um, finally, I get a call from one of my cousins and she said um, my mom was at her cousin's house. And so I go over there and uh, she didn't want to come with me.
0: So she had made it how far from the gas station mm-hmm. or how many hours?
1: She actually hitchhiked.
0: Oh, goodness.
1: She hitchhiked uh, to the uh, bus station, and then she made it home. Um, She got on a bus? Yes, she got on a bus. Wow. And made it home. And the uh, the lady that picked her up, she saw her on TV, and so she called the authorities and said, yeah, I picked this lady up, and I took her to the bus station. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, she was at my cousin's house, and Mom did not want to come with me. And that was real hurtful. And um, she had said some things. uh, We finally got the police over there. uh, She finally came back and uh, she was afraid of going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So we took her back to her house and mom was acting very erratic again, going outside without her coat And so finally I called her doctor, and her doctor said, you need to take her to the hospital. She gave me, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the hospital, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she gave me one specific hospital to take her to. So when the ambulance came, uh, they came inside. It was a man and two women. And this story, I, I capture in my book, my very first book about my mom, Mama Peaches and me. And uh, when people read it, they are horrified. They are just so upset. I go into a lot of details. But let me give you just the highlights. So this woman who's a paramedic, she comes in and, you know, she gets her name and everything. And she said, we're going to take her to, gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the hospitals right now. We're going to okay. take her to <laughs> Hospital A. Uh-huh.
2: And
1: I said, no, 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 the doctor said Hospital B. She said, no, you know, it's the same care and it's closer and, you know, all these Reasons that were really convenient for her. I said, no, you're going to take her to where the doctor said take her. And we're going back and forth, back and forth. And so one of the uh, the other ambulance drivers said, um, he, he jumped in and said, no, sir, we'll, we'll, we'll take her to um, Hospital B. Mm-hmm. So they were getting mom ready. And I overheard the lady say, Hospital A. So now we get into another argument. Did we just not have this conversation? Just take my mom to hospital B. So my mom again was hallucinating. She had this thought that I was going to die in a car accident, so she didn't want me driving at all. Mm -hmm. So we convinced my mom that I would stay behind, and you know that was not the truth. I was going to actually drive and meet them there. So I asked the female uh, ambulance driver if she could give me the address.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: she said she didn't have the airdress. and uh, that caused another argument and so um, I said I would google it she left they left and as soon as they got out of the parking lot I got in my car and I went to hospital B and as I was driving to hospital B I called to say Hey, they're with my mom. She may, oh, You can be there. I'm her son, and I'm on my way. Is everything all right? We don't have your mom here. What are you talking about? The paramedics just left, or the ambulance. Yeah, they just left. She said, we don't. So long story short, my mom is at Hospital A, mm. where she should have been. So the paramedics lied to me, and they deliberately sent me to the wrong hospital. Wow. I was livid. And so I get there, they're seeing my mom, I'm sitting in the lobby, and guess what? <laughs> they come out and they said, Mr. Cheney, we can't find your mom." Oh, no. <laughs> so mama again, she she, came, she became known on Facebook as a runaway mama. <laughs> and again, she ran away. And I was a little concerned this time because it was cold. I had her phone. Uh, I think I may have even had her. No, she had her purse, but she didn't have much money. So, again, I'm upset with the hospital officials there. And actually, that's why they wanted her to go to Hospital B, because they were accustomed to uh, dealing with patients that had my mom's challenges. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't just simply walk off of the hospital over there. So, um, we're looking around the hospital. And again, I thought, I know my mom. She doesn't have any money. But my mom's determined and she's going to make it home. So I go to the house, kind of disappointed she's not there. Uh, there was a police officer that came, and so we're kind of waiting, and you know, they're scouring the city and everything. Uh, I'm on my mom's balcony. Uh, she lived at that time in what's called the Walter P. Pro- housing Project. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the balcony. It's getting dark, and every now and then there will be a, an older woman, a woman walking down the walkway, and I think, is that my mom? And it wasn't. Finally, my mom comes walking down the highway, and so we run down, and uh, we discovered that she still had the IV in her arm. Uh. And the doctor said, um, We gotta take you back to the hospital. She said, Nope, I am not going back to the hospital. And he said, Miss Chaney, we've got to take that IV out, or else it's gonna get infected. And
2: uh,
1: mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to my go home. You're not gonna stop me. And so I stepped forward and I started talking and the officer kind of hushed me and said, you may not want to do that because I know my mom. And so I looked at my mom and I said, "Uh, we got to go to the hospital. She said, no. And I said, mom, you know, if you walk off and you're not checked out or discharged properly, then insurance won't pay for anything And Mama said, I'm not that crazy. (laughs) (laughs) She said, all right. So she went back to the hospital. And when I got there, um, she had an officer outside the room. And actually, I jumped ahead earlier, but that was the night that I discovered she had the tumor. Mm. Wow.
0: Um, And how long had she been living with you at that point?
1: Um, Probably about nine months or so
0: okay so then she passed shortly after that um
1: it, i think you could say that um so we were changing out we had kind of a mix-up with doctors and they got changing the um surgery times There was a lot of confusion mm-hmm. uh, and again i'm appealing for help the doctors were really impressed with uh, my organization. Uh, I think that um, they were surprised. People often say uh, they're surprised that I took care of my mom, and I'm surprised that they will be surprised. Why would I not take care of the woman that always took care of me? Uh, there are some misconceptions about caregiving. Most people think that it's a woman's job. It, it, they, you know, if there's an older female sibling, it's their job, or it's the oldest sibling or child.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but what I discovered it is, and I think I was real hard on my brothers, because I expected them to behave in the same manner that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I was really hard. Why are mm-hmm. you not here to help? Why are you I need your support. She needs your support. You're not here. And so people embrace this whole notion of caregiving differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I, and, and here's what I want to say. Not everybody has the caregiver's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to have been blessed with it. Um, it was demonstrated with my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and then my mom. Mm-hmm. And I realized not everybody has that. So taking care of my mom at home, um, we finally found our happy medium. I embraced the notion that uh, she had this challenge and that uh, before I was trying to I was trying to bring mom into my world
2: mm-hmm.
1: and build everything around um kind of my life and take care of her at the same time mm-hmm. i realized i couldn't do that that i had to go into her world and so it meant giving up a lot giving up some of the social activities uh even friends um, it meant being in a mode of readiness always being flexible uh things could change and th- that's the other thing you I, i'm very methodical uh, my corporate career uh, dictated that if i planned something that's what would happen
2: mm-hmm.
1: but when it came to my mom I, that just didn't work because anything could happen at any moment <coughs> um you could have a, a reaction to medications you could have you could fall um you could change doctors um There's a number of things that uh, could change in an instant that could impact just everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a mode of flexibility. Um, I still have my challenges. I remember one time taking my mom to the bank. She wanted money. Uh, She goes up to the teller and she gives the teller a note saying that she wants to go home and she's being held captive. Uh yeah, I was like, oh, Lord. So, you know, you have to explain to police what's going on and so forth. And um, so she came back home with me. And so from that moment on, whenever she needed money, we went through the drive-thru. Mm. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed doing with my mom is, uh, again, when we found that happy medium, I enjoyed cooking for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she had cooked for me all those years and. I remember uh, coming up with these very creative and healthy dishes and also posting them on Facebook and people were just like, oh my God, look at that meal. (laughs) Uh, And so in addition to writing these little stories, uh, many people said, hey, you need to write a book about your mom or you you even need a cookbook. And I remember one day walking into the room and serving my mom a dish and uh, she sampled it and she said, son, I turned around and I turned around, she gave me the thumbs up. She's like, this is good. And I kind of turned around. I kind of blushed. I didn't want her to see me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you said that you, um, you joined a support group? Oh, yes. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Okay, so I will talk about that. Anybody who's going through um, the caregiving challenge, I highly recommend a caregiving group. Uh, most caregiving groups... The ones that I've been exposed to or heard about are really populated with women. So you don't see a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went. And I think one of the reasons you don't see men, uh, men tend to be, here's the best way to explain it. Um, men are headliners.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you're reading an article, men are headliners. They just give you just the capture. Women are the actual meat of the article. They want all the details.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, when I went to this um, this meeting, again, it's a lot of women, and we all went around to introduce our, ourselves. And of course, they were already familiar with one another, and they got to me, and I just said, hey, I'll take care of my mom, she has to mention." And, and that was it. So then they started bombarding me with all these questions. And then I got to a point where I just felt free enough to really share. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what came over me, I just started crying. And I think I started crying because I was in an environment, I was in a space where people got it. Mm-hmm. People knew where I was going. Through and uh, there was a lot of healing. Um, there were resources I didn't know were, that were available. There were people that were in the same situation. Um, and over the weeks that I was going, you, here's an example. You could have someone come in and say, hey, the doctor just described this particular medicine for my mom who has a Alzheimer, has anybody had any experience with it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, I haven't, that's great. Oh, you know, you know, she had these side effects, so the doctor recommended this alternative medicine, and it's just a great informational change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I noticed along the way, we did have one or two other guys that would come, um, and the, which was really good, I, and I felt kind of an obligation, even after my mom passed, to continue to go to encourage other guys, and even anybody. Uh, that would come to this particular um, caregiver group, but that caregiver group literally saved me in more ways than one. And uh,
0: how did th- how did that group change things for you?
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: How did that group change things for you as a caregiver?
1: Um, one, I think the biggest thing was I wasn't alone. I felt alone. I didn't have um, again the family support. When I came home with mom and shut the door, it was just me and mom. And um, just didn't have a network. In
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, cyberspace, uh, social media, you know, there were people that that knew that I was a caregiver. Uh, but again, that's cyberspace. I couldn't touch or feel or uh, really be free with what I was uh, experiencing. Uh, so the again the um, support group was a. it was a safe zone mm-hmm. and it, and it affirmed me It affirmed me, that, you know, um, one thing about caregiving, you, you're thinking you, um, am I perfect? Am I doing it the right way?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so one of the advice that I give to other caregivers is you'll never be perfect. Um, just be present. Yeah. And, uh, that's probably the best advice that I can offer anybody in the caregiving space. Um, the fact that you are there for a loved one speaks volumes.
0: Right, right. Um, so um, how did things change for you after your mom passed? Like in the first few months or so, how how was that for you? What did you go through?
1: Um, so let me talk a little bit about how that came to be. Okay. Uh, so we, we took mom to the hospital. She had surgery, and she was going through... Um, therapy um and i remember uh, she couldn't speak she was really struggling to speak she wouldn't eat uh i remember the uh, doctors and nurses called me and said hey we got her in lunch with everybody and she she couldn't walk she she had to be rehabilitated Mm um and i remember saying well my mom's a very private woman let's try taking her to her bedroom uh, and see if she eats, and sure enough, she she ate a little bit. Um, I remember the uh, she was making a little progress. I, part of me felt like mom was giving up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she just seemed like she seemed as though she wasn't trying, so I was a little disappointed. Um, one day I brought pictures of family members, so she didn't feel you know so alone. She was she really adored her mom. So I had this big picture of her mom and of course her children, her grandchildren, and so forth. And I thought that that would just snap something in her. Uh, The last night that I spent with my mom, I remember sitting at a table with my back to her. I was uh, working on the computer and I have to say all my life, my mom, I think that's one of the visions she has of me. Even when I was a little boy, I would have papers spread out and she would always get with me about junk, making the room junky. so I thought she was looking at me. So I, I turned over my shoulder and sure enough, mom was looking at me. She had this, uh, this smile.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, I was a little embarrassed. I kind of blessed. I turned around I'm like, why am I looking at me like that? And so I turned around again. And sure enough, she was just smiled. She had her head to and She was just smiling kind of shaking her head. Yes. And again, I was a little embarrassed. I turned around. I said, let me just look one more time. So I turned around she did three times. She was like, look at me. Um, so the next day, I was getting ready to go see her as I did for the last couple of days. And I get a phone call, and they um, told me that my mom had passed. Mm-hmm. And it was just so surreal. It's just, uh, everything just kind of stopped. I think, you know, we, in the back of your mind, you think of losing a parent. And uh, oftentimes parents don't prepare you to live without them because that's all you. My mom is all I ever knew.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She's yeah. always been in my space. I've never lived life without mom. So that was real hard getting around. Um, just the whole thing. But uh, I went to the next step was. I'm the caregiver. And so the next step was to care for my mom, even in death. And so I busy myself with preparations for the funeral which we held in Ohio. And I remember coming home and uh, I had called a funeral home in Ohio. I think it was Supreme Grove Cemetery. And I was sitting on the bed and I was led to go to a file case that my mom had. And I was paying a lot of my mom's bills. And so that's how I would organize her bills in this foul case that was actually hers. I bought for her a couple years ago and she always used it. So go goes to this file Kevin, and strangely enough, I see this envelope that I've never seen before. And I've gone in and out of the envelope all the time. Well, it, it's a will. She had handwritten her wishes. Uh, and I remember, I think I came to her apartment one day, and I think she was actually writing it then. Mm-hmm. She had this suspicious look on her, mind, on her face. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it told me where she wanted to be buried, what color kind of the coffin of her dress, her ears, earrings, her jewelry, how she wanted her hair fixed. I was so, so much like my mom. And so I had to call Spring Crow and counsel it real quick. And um, we took her where she wanted to, to go. And so when I got back from the funeral, um, that's when it really hit me. hmm I just felt I just didn't I, I didn't want to go on, um, stay at home in the bed. The, the lights were out, didn't answer the telephone, didn't go outside, uh, just didn't want to do anything at all. And um, I wanted to give up and I was mad with myself because I couldn't give up. Um, and then I realized, yeah, you can't give up because you don't know how. You know, my mom didn't teach me to give up and God didn't put me on this earth to give up without realizing a purpose
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so as I was sitting there I remembered um, the stories on Facebook that I wrote and I remember someone saying you need to do a book and so I said you know I'm going to put that book together of all these funny stories and then I'm also going to add resource guides and survival tips for caregivers things that I wish I had done." Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the book evolved. The more I worked on the book, the more revived I became.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it truly, not only was an opportunity to revive me, to res- res- uh, resurrect me, uh, but it was an opportunity to uh, honor my mom's life as well as to help other people.
0: Yeah. Um. And so how long after your mom passed, did you, was it that, um, that you published that book?
1: So I, it was, um, it was months later. Um, she passed in April and I think I had it published by October.
0: She passed in April of 20, uh, 16. 2016 yeah. and you had it published in October of that same year?
1: Uh, yes, of the same year. Okay. And so the book, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I just wanted to release it. And um, I shared it on Facebook with all my Mama teachers followers and many people went out to get it. And uh, It was very encouraging. I had other people recommending the book to other um, people that were going through things. It was, here's something that I really thought was interesting. So... A lot of people on the Facebook were encouraging me mm-hmm. and uh, it got to the point where I get, hey, I'm now in the caregiving space and your book has helped me. Or um, I've got a neighbor that's in the caregiving space and I bought the book or I recommended the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember very distinctly, I had a friend who said, no, I've got a friend and she's really yeah. going downhill. She's just... Uh, she doesn't know what to do with her mom, and they're, you know, they're really close, and now she doesn't recognize her mom, and her mom doesn't recognize her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she said, I'm going to order your book for her. And so she ordered a book, and she gave her the book, and she said she turned it over and read the back of it and just started crying. Mm. She said, this book is for me. And uh, at that moment, I said, if I didn't write this book for anybody else, I'm just glad that I was able to support mm-hmm. in person
0: yeah did you think about trying to get an agent and traditionally publishing it or what was your thought process with that
1: um it was a self-published endeavor um i didn't think about getting an agent because um i didn't want to go through all the bureaucracy i just wanted to hey here's my story to get it out there as fast as i can i didn't want anyone challenging uh, my creative direction yeah um and I guess I wasn't looking for like a top seller or anything like that it's just part of the healing process was to get it all out mm-hmm. and uh this book allowed me to kind of get everything out
0: and when, when did you start speaking um at in conferences and workshops
1: so the book enabled me to do some book signs uh it went in Barnes and Nobles um and People in the community found out about the book, and I got invited to go to a caregiving events. Uh, so, people were seeing me, and I, I started speaking more and more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I decided that I wanted to put together an advocacy group or corporation, I should say, because people were being. Uh, Here's the thing in our community, we have uh, professionals that are working for, let's say, Alzheimer's Association or. Southeast, uh, um, just these big organizations that really help elderly people or people with uh, dementia or Alzheimer or whatever you can name. And a lot of these individuals that I, vice presidents, directors, uh, they don't necessarily always have direct caregiving experience. And so when I get up to speak, because I do have that experience, You know, I'm a real person with a real message and a real experience. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that resonates with people. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I think that's another reason why I have been invited to speak.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that, um, I guess within the last year or so, that you've been um, sort of refocusing your efforts and yeah. that w- you realize that you may have been um, with your efforts, with the writing and with the speaking, that you may have been masking something else um, and, and that you're, you've are you been spending this time to sort of work through that. Can you yeah. talk about that a little?
1: I can. So uh, prior to me kind of recognizing that, I got really busy with the speaking engagements of uh, the book was named one of the best eight, uh, one of the best caregiving books of 2017. Uh, so it became an award-winning. The Mama Peaches became a um, award-winning caregiving series, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when the next one came out, um, we did a tour earlier this year. Uh, I did my first international book signing, which was in Canada, Toronto, Canada, which was just uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did book signing in Chicago, um, Atlanta. Uh, Knoxville just different places and again getting the, uh, the invites to come to conferences and so forth
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I just um, started having these moments just pockets pockets of time where I would just kind of stop and I would have memories of mom um, and get really really depressed mm-hmm. and then maybe trigger points like my mom's birthday Uh, her anniversary the anniversary uh, day of her death Uh, holidays are particularly tough as well Mm -hmm. (coughs) and I said (coughs) I think I need to stop everything I think I need to back up and deal with some feelings Um, maybe even therapy Mm -hmm.
2: Uh,
1: um, I haven't done therapy um, which is something I would be opposed to I think it's been really healing for me just to kind of sit back because what I was doing was every opportunity that presented itself, I wanted to run after it mm-hmm. uh, and that exhorts a lot of energy time and money and so I was wearing myself thin um, but in these last months I'm just kind of sitting back refocusing relaxing even um, reflecting on my life with mom um, you know I can sit here and I can think about Moments and just laugh. I remember once my mom said, Here's the most hilly thing that anyone's that I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Mom was uh laying in the bed here at, at the house, and uh, she said, Son, I was like, Yes, ma'am. She said, You are a beautiful man. I <laughs> had the balls, and when she said that, there was just like a weight lifted off of me. And I think I didn't realize this. But I think all my life, you know, some people say I was an overachiever. All my life, I think secretly I've wanted my mom's affirmation. Yeah. And that was just the, and when she said that, it was just like, I felt like I didn't have to try hard anymore.
0: Mhm.
1: I didn't have to run anymore. I could walk. <laughs>
0: oh, that's a beautiful story.
1: <laughs> that, that's a gift that she has given me um, forevermore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Anything else that you think is important to share?
1: So one of the things that I did to uh, just kind of came to of, uh, kind of my mind is I did start a Mama Peaches Caregiving Face Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's an opportunity for people to share kind of a, a safe space. Uh, we literally have people from around the country and, and some select countries as well. Um, I'm looking to wrap that back up next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really toured with the idea of just dismantling it. Uh, but when I think about some of the previous comments and how helpful it was, and, um, it's, I almost feel obligated to share my story and encourage others. Yeah. So, yes.
0: Yeah. Well, if you want to send me the link to that, I'll add that in the show notes. Um, just let me know when it's when it's active again.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that that you have planned for 2019?
1: Um, again, I have uh, a couple books in mind. Um, I have um, a cookbook, The Mama Peaches. Um, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I have Mama Peaches in it because uh, they're all from the Mama Peaches award-winning series. Uh huh. Uh, so I'm thinking about doing that um, there is a memoir that I um, started to write and I have a feature a couple chapters in each of my book
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's been really hard for me to write that because I start writing and get really emotional but I think I'm at a space now and maybe that's another good reason why I had the sabbatical period if you will uh-huh. I'm in the space now where I can truly write it without getting emotionally distraught um I even wrote uh, a draft children's book, caregiving book. So I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, another draft of a caregiving devotional book, a devotional book for caregivers. Mm-hmm. And it's called, a to, I'm really excited about this one. It's called A to Z caregiving devotional book and I deal with different emotions. You know, Usually when you get a, a devotional book, we talk about joy and Uh, love and kindness and all this little good stuff yeah reality behind the closed doors of a caregiver you're dealing with bitterness stress and anxiety and depression and so those are the things that i mentioned of course i identify them uh i give you kind of a um encouragement Mm -hmm. uh, how to deal with it i give you scripture and there's a, a bit of a prayer um but when you find yourself in a hard spot and when there's an emotion that, that peels on, uh, pulls on you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you can consult the book. And the idea is that it, it helps to lift you up from a dark place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might have to have you back on in a year or so when you get all these books done.
2: <laughs> awesome. awesome. Awesome.
0: So... All right. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and um, I feel like I, I learned quite a bit about about your life and your relationship with Mama Peaches, and I bet she's I bet she's smiling down on you right now.
1: She is. Uh, for anybody who wants to get in contact with me, I do have a website. Uh, we're in the process, again, of uh, revamping it, but there's still a contact button there. Uh, it is called Chaney Speaks, C-H-A-N-U-I. S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. Um, so that's a great way to get in contact with me. The books are available at Barnes & Noble. And I just discovered that Walmart.com has picked up the book as well, the Mama Peaches book. That's so,
0: great. That's it's, great. It's, it's, it's yeah, and you can get it on Amazon too, right?
1: It's on the Amazon. It's uh, Books of Million. It's in uh, Indigo, which is a Canada. Um, so it's out there in quite a few places, actually.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll add all those links to the show notes so people can just click on them and go right go right to your website. So, all right, Christopher, this has been this has been fun. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and um, yeah, so we'll be in touch.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you. All righty. Take care.